Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. My dad is my hero. He'll always be there to take your call, and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman-Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. (laughs) My dad said that the word forgiveness can be summed up in just a couple of words. I'm sorry, show me. Sorry is just words. We really need to see it in deeds. It's much more meaningful. Today's guest, Rachel Isabella, is a fatherless daughter, and she has changed her story. Rachel? Welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. Finally. Yes. Oh my goodness. Like, yeah, I don't know when we first like set this up, but I think it was last year. Was in 2021? Could be. Okay. So I want to jump right in. I took so many notes. Like, oh God, no, I'm scared. (laughs) Don't be scared. But I'm excited to actually talk about the subject of fatherless daughters because I didn't realize how common that was. It's really common. Apparently it's one of three. One in three women is fatherless and there are different ways that you can be fatherless. And my way, I didn't even know it was a way because I grew up with my dad in the house. I just didn't know that his emotional unavailability and him being shut down and not being a family man pretty much made me a fatherless daughter in that sense in that he was emotionally checked out. It's kind of like physical abuse is immediate. You know it immediately the same way, you know, physical abandonment, but then emotional abuse and also emotional unavailability from your father, you actually have to, you have to think about it a bit more to realize that that's where you are, that that is happening to you because it isn't as, as immediate in your face. This is what's happening kind of thing. What does it look like? Well, for me, it looks like a man who went to work every day. And when he wasn't at work, he was on the soccer field with the boys because he was a coach and he's his soccer is his passion. And my mother was left basically to do all the rest. She also worked nine to five and she did everything in the house. And then on the weekends, she was with my sister and I, whether it was birthdays or going to the library or going to the mall or whatever. And my dad had work and he had soccer and he just, he wasn't a family man. And it took me a long time to realize that that, that wasn't normal. It's was like, oh, okay, so dad has this activity. But I never asked myself, well, mom doesn't have an activity where she goes and, and leaves us with dad and he takes care of things. So yeah, that's what it looks like for me. But it's it's very different. I mean, you can be fatherless because, for instance, your mother doesn't know who your father is. And so you're looking for him through your DNA. It could be that you had a wonderful father, but he passed away. So there are different ways that you can be fatherless. The one I think most people struggle with is when there is an actual rejection of the child. So for me, it would show up as in rather than my dad wanting to spend time with me and play a board game or take me out or whatever, he chose the boys. He chose the soccer field, you know, because he I mean, I found out years later that he didn't really want to get married. He didn't really want to have kids, but he belongs to a generation where 
you did the right thing. You've been dating a nice girl, you know, for three years and the, the next step is to get married and the next step is to have kids. And so I feel for him in that I think he didn't get to live the life he wanted, but I don't like him, <laughs> which is, you know, that's hard to say. Do you feel like that's, cause I mean, this is the majority of the work that you do now. I mean, do you feel like that has defined you? That is such a great question because what I try to get women to realize is to not be identified by their pain. I've seen people online where like part of their bio will say breast cancer survivor or recovering alcoholic or fatherless daughter. And I'm like, why are you identifying with the worst thing? Why are you identifying with the pain rather than, you know, mom of three, climate activist? Uh, you know, there's so many other roles that we play that we can identify with. I don't identify as a fatherless daughter. It's something that happened. It's something that I worked through and I can now help others. But I know a lot of people who are still in the pain of it. A lot of people who are still holding on to like the anger and resentment because they think that they're going to get something from that. Yes. A lot of people do identify as a fatherless daughter and they, they carry that and they mention it in conversations and I don't identify with it at the same time. It's probably the relationship that most defined my life because of the unworthiness that I felt from not feeling my father's love for me. I married a man who was, you know, toxic and abusive and that then I had to leave. And then I had to find self-love for myself at the age of 35 after leaving that marriage. So a lot of things that I teach my son have to do with this one relationship that gave me nothing or that gave me very little. I shouldn't say nothing, but that gave me very little. That is paramount because the umbrella of unworthiness that fatherless daughter feels, the unworthiness and the un unlovability, it can manifest in so many different ways. So for instance, for me, it might manifest in overeating and in someone else in promiscuity and in someone else in self-sabotage and in someone else in emotional shutdown. I don't identify as a fatherless daughter, but I am aware that it is the relationship that most affected me, I guess, that most taught me what to do as a human, that most set me on a path, I guess, from that, yeah, from that pain came, came a lot of stuff. Well, I am a mom of an 11 year old daughter, and I know that that was really like the point where you started thinking about it and realizing it, right? Can you take me back to who you were as the 11, 12 year old little girl? Yeah. So around the age of 12, I started telling my mom that dad doesn't like me or dad doesn't love me. I don't remember which word I used, but I'm guessing it was love. And my mother would say, I'm like, you know, you're crazy. What are you talking about? How could he not love you? And I didn't have the words then to explain it, to clarify it. But I knew it. I felt it. It was his energy. It was his indifference. It was the lack of anything, you know, towards me. And I, I couldn't explain it beyond that. So I started looking for surrogate fathers in my sixth grade teacher, who was a man and he was wonderful. And then in high school, some other teachers, I realized as an adult looking back, oh, I was looking for guidance. I was looking for affection. I was looking for, and thank God, all of these men were very kind to me. None of them were abusive or inappropriate, which, I mean, it could have been really, really bad, but I, I chose nice men to kind of get close to when I needed the attention that I wasn't getting from my dad. I don't think my dad knows any of this. So that's what it looks like for, for me. And then what was amazing, Rena, is that just a few years ago, I read the five love languages. I was late to the game and I looked at all five of those ways and I realized that it was true. He hadn't because he did none of them. And I, as soon as I had that thought, I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> 
you know, look closer, you know, don't be so mean or whatever. And I looked at each one and I was like, no, he didn't do that. He, he didn't do any of those on a regular, consistent basis in our home. I don't know why he chose to stay so long. Yeah. How long were they married? 27 years. Wow. Yeah. I don't know why he stayed so long, maybe for the kids, maybe I, I have no idea, but when I saw this list of these five love languages and I was like, oh, this I do with my son and this I do with my best friend, I was able to see in front of me. I thought, wow, I wasn't wrong. And I felt that 12 year old in me felt vindicated. Like I couldn't have expressed it better, any better, but this is what I felt. This lack of anything, you know, the quality time or the affirmations or the, you know, I don't, I don't remember all of them, but yeah, I, I got it. I got it. And I can clearly see in my other relationships where I receive love or where I give love. I can identify it. And with my dad, I couldn't. What do you think your love language is? I have several and it depends. I don't have the same one with everybody. I have several with my son and I have several with my best friend. And so it it actually changes. And then what was really amazing was seeing that, for instance, my ex-husband did all five of them. He was abusive, but he did all five. Quality time, family came first words of affirmations all the time, gift giving as, you know, if he had any little money, he would spend it on me. There were other things wrong. His love was not the best kind of love, but he did all five. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Wow. What happened there? With my ex? Yes. With my my ex, I just, I fell out of love. I fell out of love because he was very much a liar and Mm. I, he would make promises and never keep them. And I always knew when I met him, it were red sign. I mean, there were flags everywhere, but I chose not to see them because he was the first person. He was the first man that showed me that kind of attention. He made me feel amazing and beautiful and like everything just, you know, the moon and the stars wrapped up in one. And I never had that. I ignored all kinds of bad things just to feel that. Yeah. When it was good, it was good. It it later became abusive. He was very jealous and controlling and he would follow me and he wouldn't let me like be free. And so the more he tried to like hold on to me, the more I was like, I'm going to leave. And so then I, I I finally left, but it was really interesting seeing that he did all those, all five of those love languages. Also your parents were together for 27 years. Did you ever think they would get divorced and what eventually led to that? It just died. It just slowly bled to death. But my dad, like, I don't know how it, I think he started really, really changing towards her. I think he'd always done the bare minimum. I don't really want to talk about it because it wasn't mine. But from what I saw on the outside, it was just less and less affection, less and less, you know, it just kind of bled to death, the relationship. And I know that when you went through divorce, you ended up moving back in with your mother, right? Yeah. What was that like? That was okay because I needed a safe place to land. I was terrified. I was terrified because I left my country for him. I'd left my nursing license. I left a good paying job all to move to Argentina and form a family. And that didn't happen. So the fact that my mom and my grandmother lived in Argentina was great because I I moved in with my mom and, and I was able to do a lot of processing because I had support. So that was actually good. Now I don't, I no longer live with my mom. I've been, I've been out of there for four years now, but it was good. It was, and it's also very, very common in Latin families where, you know, you go, you go back home. If your marriage, yeah, there's, there's something very Latin about that. I have yeah. a friend also. Yeah, I have a friend also who's from Trinidad. And when I told her that, she said, Of course, you know, you 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 get a divorce, you go home to mom and dad. You know, that's that's normal. I think maybe Americans don't agree with that so much or they don't do that as much, but it's it's really common here for a single mother to move back in with her parents. 
Interesting. Yeah. I'm also interested in like, okay, so you didn't feel like your dad had any of those love languages, but like, how were they as communicators? They didn't, but I didn't realize that that was wrong. I think all of my mom's friends of that generation, they're all divorced. They all got married at like 20 with their high school sweetheart. They didn't know anything about themselves, about each other, about what they wanted. They're all divorced. Or they say that they never would have picked this person because a lot of my dad and my mom is based on the generation that they come from and the country that they come from. And so when you look at them, you need to take that into consideration. One thing that I'm really interested in too is like, did you want to get married? Like, what were your thoughts about marriage? What did you think think it was going to be, right? I was so swept. I mean, I, I married this man after 10 months of knowing him. So it was very fast and I felt safe. It was kind of hurried because he was in the country illegally and they were they were deporting a bunch of people. And so I said, well, let's just get married. And if, if it doesn't work out, well, it doesn't work out and you'll go back or whatever. It wasn't a decision that two people make after several years of being together and millions of conversations and a plan for the future. It wasn't that, it was more like to help him out legally. And I mean, we're already dating and it's it's going great. And so it continued from that. It wasn't the way, for instance, my sister got married after seven years of being with her boyfriend. And and like I said, the millions of conversations, it wasn't like that. It was initially meant to help him. Wow. I feel like what you think a marriage is going to be like at 20 is much different than when you think at 30 or 40, it's right? ridiculous. I mean, the man that I chose at 24, I would not have chosen chosen him at 34 when I left him. And it's not what I would choose now at 45. I'm amazed that people... I mean, when it comes to marriage, I still, I'll see people getting married and I'm like, good luck. It's terrible. (laughs) I am so jaded about it. And I'm so, yeah, I'll see people like in a wedding car, you know, beeping the horns and, and I'm just like, good luck to you. It's just, it's terrible. I can a little bit relate to that. Sometimes when I go to weddings, I'm like, oh, these little lovebirds, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) if they only knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See you in five years, kids. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. So, like, what did the beginning look like of my marriage? Yeah. When the reality more. sets in, like, what was it like? No, reality set in. Well, yeah, some abuse started when we were still in the United States, and there came a time when he had to go back because he had a son in Argentina who was little and who was being taken care of by his grandparents. And so he said it was basically that was the moment, I guess, where we did get married in the sense that he said. I need to leave. Do you want to come with me? And so then I made the choice to like to choose him rather than my country and my nursing license and my job. So that was, I guess, when we decided to do it, I guess, more than anything is when we chose to leave the United States in 2006. When I came to the the country in 2006, I think there I got very well. I I mean, I fell into a depression when we moved here pretty badly because I couldn't work as a nurse. They didn't validate my nursing license. And I met my stepson who now he's 23 and we have a great relationship. But back then he was really hard. I mean, we were just like, like this. I realized that I was in big trouble when my son was 10 months old. And I realized that I didn't want, so I was already here for a while. This was like 2009. So like three years in, I realized I need to, I need to leave because my son was 10 months old and I didn't want him to grow up in that house with my ex, you know, yelling. And there had been behavior between my ex and his, my stepson that I thought, I mean, my son is next. And that was huge because I thought I'm stuck. I left everything. 
To any of you thinking about leaving your country for a person, seriously, you need to make sure that the country is right for you. This is, I'm just gonna get, get up on my soapbox right now. So in this country, because we share a son, if I wanted to go back to the United States and my ex-husband said, no, I'm stuck here. I feel so like jaded about marriage and move, you know, because it's such a romantic thing to move to another country for the man you love. <laughs> but seriously, just think about it. Think about it and put things in place, have money in a bank account that you can use. Move to this new country with a plan that you might break up because people do break up. Yeah, that's really hard though. And I, you know, I think that a lot of people have, have done that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I wouldn't do that now. I mean, now I choose to live here. I'm fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good here. But the idea of, I realized it was bad when my son was 10 months old and I managed to leave him when he had just turned four. So that's how long it took me to leave. How did you eventually do it? I broke up with him on January 2nd and I left in late May. And the way it happened was I kept telling him, you need to leave. We were living in like his city of origin, which is Mendoza, where he has family. And my family's in Cordoba, which is in the center of the country. We were living in Mendoza and I said, you need to leave. I want us to break up. You have to go. And you have parents that you can stay with. I do not. I'm alone here. So he said he would, and then he wouldn't. And those five months were just torturous. Yeah, they were really bad. And so finally we had a really big fight. And I called my mom and I said, I told her what the fight was about. And she said, why don't you come visit me this weekend? Because it was a long weekend. There was a, a, a national holiday. She said, you know, bring the baby and you can just spend a few days here. And what I did was I basically never went back. I called him. I was supposed to be there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And on Sunday, I called him. And I said, I'm not going back. Send me my stuff. Pack up my stuff and send it here. And it's about 10 hours or 12 hours by car. It's, a, you know, a different city. And that's how I I actually left. I left. Yeah, I just, I got my kid and I left. So that's why I was with my mom. I needed to land somewhere. It was, it was, it was devastating. I was so, I left for my kid. I tell people all the time, I didn't even do it because I love myself. I did it because I loved him. Now I love myself just fine, but you're that, you know, empty and broken. And the number one pain of a fatherless daughter that has dealt with the rejection part, like I mentioned, is if this man didn't love me, why would any other man? You know, and if this man didn't teach me what to expect of a man and how to be treated by one, then I will accept anything because it is attention. You see what I'm saying? So you end up being 34 years old, not loving yourself and living with your mom because you accepted a lot that that had you loved yourself well, you never would have, you know? How did you make that connection? Well, I've always really been into personal growth. I've been into, into like energy and healing and stuff like that since about 18. So I made the connection that I didn't want to attract another man like my ex. So what made me attract him in the first place? Okay. So I had to do a lot of analysis of myself. What do I believe about myself? What do I think is okay? What do I not? And then I, I realized I was yelling at him in my head. I was yelling at, at my ex in my head. And I thought, this is going to end up in my body. This, this anger and this resentment, I'm going to manifest something really terrible in my body. So I need to forgive him. And then I realized I needed to forgive my dad, who was the origin it was, you know, of the pain. And then I had to forgive myself for having allowed things to happen in my marriage that, like I said, had I loved myself really well, it wouldn't have happened. I just worked my way back because I knew if I attracted this, I do not want this in the future. The man that comes next needs to be better. And if there is no man, then I'd be really good within myself. So I think it happened because I tend to look towards personal growth. I tend to look for a meaning to things and to try and understand, you know, behavior and people's behavior. I love, if I, if I had known now 
I would have ended up studying like behavioral sciences or something. You know how you at, at 45, you're like, why did I study this? I didn't know anything. If I could go back, I would have studied, you know, behavioral, or I would have been like an FBI profiler or something. So it came naturally to me to look for what went wrong here. Where was the problem? Where did it start? Who's to blame? You know, that came naturally to me. And I found that in working with a lot of women, it, it doesn't with everybody. But I think there's people that are more into personal growth than others. So I know a lot of women that they'll break up with someone or they'll leave a relationship and they'll immediately get into the next one because I think that that's the answer. And between the, the first and the second, there was no analysis. That's how it manifests in them in needing, needing a man, needing that attention. I love that you asked yourself those questions. Did you come up with some answers? Like, what do you feel like you did wrong? I felt like I, I married a man too quick. I ignored a lot of red signs. I said yes when I should have said no to many, many things. I should have put my foot down. I should have, oh, I, oh, so many things, so many things. But I know that it came from a lack of love of myself. It mm. came from thinking, this is acceptable. This is okay. And I think the fact that he love bombed me is very hard to see through. When someone, you know, he said, I love you within like the first two weeks or something. And I knew it was wrong. I knew I was like, okay, a little fast, but then I would say, well, he's just, you know, very passionate and he wants to express himself. And that's wonderful. My dad was so cold. Now that I have a man who's so expressive, I'm going to reject. So you talk yourself out of the red flag that you're seeing because you so want this to be true. You so want this to be the thing that finally loves you when you haven't received it before. So I, I don't judge anybody. I mean, it's, I know that women who indulge in all of these behaviors, it's all coming from unworthiness and a feeling that you are unlovable. However it manifests, it's, in my opinion, it should be healed. And there are, there are people who, who say, I'll never forgive, and they really love their anger. But I think healing is, is the work that we come here to do. I think it's about remembering who you were before the world got to you, before, you know how children just love themselves, and they're expressive, and they dance, and they sing, and then they stop dancing and singing and expressing? What were they told? What were they shown? What were they? I think it's about that. I think the journey is about that. Have you been able to get back to that place? Like, talk to me about how you've worked through forgiveness. Um, oh, gosh. Forgiveness and healing happen in layers. It's kind of like lasagna. I went away on a spiritual retreat several years ago, and I was by myself, and I did journaling, and I did a lot of crying, and I wrote my dad a letter, and I came away from that with some healing. And then something else must have happened, and I forgave some more. And then I saw, I saw a woman named Dolores Cannon, some interview that she gave on YouTube, and someone asked her about, how do I let this go or how do I forgive? And she's like, oh, just forgive. I mean, the world could end tomorrow. We could hit, get hit by an asteroid and it could all just end tomorrow. Just forgive. And I, I got it. I thought, oh, daddy, we're, we're fine. We're, no problem. It might not happen for everybody, but it happened for me. I got the big picture. I was like, we could all be gone tomorrow. I mean, it's not like an asteroid is coming to Earth. We would know because scientists are aware of you know what to look for. But if it were to happen tomorrow, like how small is my dad? How small am I? How small are all of our grievances? Like, seriously, like, imagine if the world wasn't here tomorrow. There were no more Jewish people. There was no Wall of China. There was no Cathedral of Notre Dame. There are no books that tell us about it's gone. A chip in my brain just blew. And I was like, oh, we're fine, Dad. Just, we're good. And so it can happen in layers, both the forgiveness and the healing. And healing is something I just did. I just put up something about this yesterday in my Facebook group for fatherless daughters, where healing isn't just about the pain. 
like doing an exercise with your coach and crying about it and then feeling kind of drained the rest of the day. It's also about saying, I just finished working with my coach. I'm going to put on a movie that I loved from my childhood, or I'm going to put on my roller skates and I'm going to go roller skating or whatever it is. It, it is the excavation that you have to do in the work. It's also the soothing and the self-love and the kindness that you show yourself as you learn to love yourself. So I know people, they just run from coaching. They run from healing. They like word is just really like annoying or scary, but it does not mean one thing. It means many things. And I hope that when people think about coaching or getting help, they concentrate on the good that's going to happen after I do this thing, rather than I need to do this exercise with my coach and it's going to hurt because it's going to end. It'll soon be over. And then the empowerment, like boundaries, people are so afraid of boundaries because it's scary. The person might get angry with you and you've never expressed yourself like this before, but afterwards you feel empowered. You feel strong. You feel safe. You're like, oh my God, I just did this amazing thing for myself. It's both. Setting a boundary is both the fear before you do it and the relief after you've done it. And I would love for people to think of healing as the same, that it encompasses more than just fear or work. One thing that you said was that you wrote a letter to your dad. Did you share that with him? Mm -mm. What did that letter say? Do you remember? I don't remember. I don't remember at all. And it was probably very different. I actually did. I did a letter to my dad recently because I went through this thing called bio decoding, which is really cool. I had to write a letter to my dad and to my mom. And the letter had to be written in a certain way. So you had to start saying, I thank you for, I felt, I believed, I thought. So it's not about you, you, it's, I felt you didn't love me. I thought I wasn't worthy of your time. I believed the boys on the soccer field were more important than me. So those are the verbs that you need to use. And then I now know, I now believe, I now think, and then I think you just thank them once again and sign off and you don't send it. What do you now believe? I believe my dad is a man who did not get to live his dreams because of the generation that he was born into. I believe I've always been lovable. He just didn't care to show it or know how to because he was limited. I believe we're all operating from various levels of emotional intelligence. And I'll see, I'll see kids like Gen Zers saying, yes, I need to, I need to heal the the generational trauma in my family. And I'm like, you go (laughs) because they're young. Gen Zers are already aware of what it means to heal generational trauma. And you say that to maybe a boomer and they're like, what are you talking about? So I love seeing that. I believe healing is something that we do every day when we are kind to ourselves. I believe it is worth to do the excavation to create a better you, a happier you, all that. (laughs) How do we stop generational trauma? Oh, it depends. It depends on what the trauma was. If there was war in your family, if there was, I think Maya Bialik talked about this recently where she talks about how her grandparents came over. I don't think they were in the Holocaust. I think they might've left before. They settled in New York and she said that she remembers her grandmother just crying all the time, just crying. They never learned English. They were just in like a Yiddish community in in Brooklyn or whatever, where everybody spoke Yiddish. And then she carried the pain of having left her place in the world, her shtetl or whatever, like small little town it was and left people behind. And then she found out that they were all massacred. And so Mayim grew up seeing her grandmother constantly crying and constantly in pain. And that went to Mayim's mother and then obviously Mayim because you grow up in it, you marinate in it, you watch it, it it seems normal to you. So generational trauma, I think it can be done by hypnosis or talk therapy. There's, There's many, many modalities and it all depends on 
what was the trauma in your family? You know, what is the thing that you want to never do again? And so you heal it in order to not pass it down to your children. A lot of times though, what you don't want to repeat, you end up repeating. Yeah. I think self-awareness is is really huge though. I think, you know, my parents didn't communicate. I tell my son all the time, you need to be able to speak. You need to be able to speak clearly what you want to say. And you need to be able to listen to what the other person is saying. It goes both ways. You need to be good at both both things that are needed for communication. Yeah, I I think self-awareness and self-reflection is really, is really needed to do, to be one of those people that breaks the cycle of trauma. Can we talk about now that you haven't talked to your dad in 22 years? Yeah. So my dad reached out, good Lord. My dad reached out in December, in December of 2020, he sent me an email, shocked the hell out of me. I read it and I read it and I thought, what is he saying? Because he said, I hope you and your mom and your kid are fine. Maybe it's time to heal the old wounds of the past. I want you to know that I've forgiven myself. That is the face that everybody has made when I've said that. So he also said, I want you to know that I've forgiven myself and I've forgiven you. And I was like, the hell do you need to forgive me for? (laughs) I I don't, I mean, I still have it, but I haven't read it in in a, a long, long time. So I'm looking at this and I'm like, I do not understand what he wants because heal old wounds of the past. That means you need to talk. And I know you're not willing to talk. So we just slap a bandaid on it and we start sending each other birthday texts. I'm not up for that. I'm just, I'm, I'm beyond that. So I sent him an audio message that was like seven minutes long because I didn't want anything to be misinterpreted in an email. I said, let him hear my voice. I'm calm. I'm not angry or anything. And so I was like, Hey dad, just got your email. I have no idea what I did for you to have to forgive me. I think healing old wounds of the past means you work at it or you talk about it or you throw some alcohol on the wound before you. And he basically listened to those seven minutes and backpedaled the hell out of there because I had challenged him on what are you going to do about it? What, what does this mean? What does this email mean? What are you willing to do? Because all he does is send a birthday message. I mean, this is like towards my sister. I don't want to talk about my sister because it's her story. But as far as I know, their only communication is he texts her on her birthday. She texts him on his. And I would rather have nothing with my dad than something as as superficial and as breadcrummy as, hey, kid, happy birthday. That's that's insane to me. I haven't recorded it yet, but I have this this episode that I want to do for my podcast that is basically, if you, it's basically talking to the fathers. If you want to come back, you need to say you're sorry. Do not think you're going to find a little girl who just wants to wrap her arms around her daddy. You're going to find a hurt and enraged woman. And you need to be able to listen to what she has to say about you. And you need to come to her with, I am so sorry, baby. I, whatever, whatever the reason is. The fact that he knew he had not been a good father to the point where he worked on it and forgave himself, which is great. I think we should all forgive ourselves for we're human, but did not say it to me is so insane that I have no time for it. He didn't have to, Rena, he didn't have to say it to my face. He didn't have to say it in front of people. He didn't have to say it on a video chat looking into my eyes. He could not type it in an effing email. And that is so, I don't even know what the word is. I don't even know what the word is. I was shocked for weeks. I was walking around kind of in a daze because I'm so dedicated to my personal growth that I'm like, I'm not the same person I was last year. How are you the same person you were 22 years ago? How does this happen? That life has not, I don't know, moved you to certain places or to certain lessons or to certain people or to certain books that have 
moved you and changed you to the point that you're 70 years old and typing, I'm sorry, baby, is too much. So I basically told him that I hope he doesn't contact me again, but I doubt he'll listen to this. But if he does, if you want to contact me again, dad, start with an apology and we can go from there. I'm in this Facebook group and every now and then a woman will say, I can't believe it. After so many years, my dad just reached out. Guys, I'm so terrified. What do I do? And so some people will say things like, don't do it. He's going to hurt you again. He's going to break your heart. And then some of us, I usually say, put up all the boundaries you need, make it in a place where you feel safe, make him come to you or whatever, what, you know, and give him a chance because there are fathers who get over their addictions and they want to make amends or they, you know, whatever it is, they come to their senses. They want to and it is amazing how many of these fathers do not begin with an apology. There is this level of pride and ego that seems insurmountable or something. And these women, the women that do go, they usually come back like, that was it? That was, you know, it's, it's really sad. So men, you guys need to shape up. You guys need to do better. Seriously. If you want your daughter to talk to you, you start with a generous, genuine, sincere apology. And if you don't, don't expect her to even want to talk to you because it's the bare minimum you can do. I would agree with that. I think honestly, that applies to not just fathers who want to repair things with their daughters, but any family member that wants to repair something with another family member, like starting with an apology. Yes. But I think it's generational because for instance, my parents- I was do not, wondering that. Yeah, 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 yeah. My parents do not apologize. It is like something about a hierarchy where yeah. I do not need to apologize to you. You're beneath me. Mm -hmm. My sister and myself, we apologize to our children all the time. Me when too. we raise our voice, when we, when we, yeah, because sometimes your behavior is not your best and you hurt someone's feelings. And I do not consider myself above my child. I consider myself older. I was 30 when he was born. I just lived 30 more years. It doesn't mean anything in terms of my value and his as people. I think there are just too many boomers out there that look at parenting completely differently. And it's more about my child owes me because of everything I did. And I'm thinking, no, 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 your child doesn't owe you anything because you brought them here. Okay. So if my dad were to say, you owe me because I gave you life, because I fed you, because I clothed you, I'd be like, uh, yeah, you brought me here. Raising a child is not a favor. It's a responsibility that you took on. So there's a huge generational difference in apologies that I see between boomers and Gen Xers because my parents do not do things that my sister and I do all the time when it comes to our kids, you know, reflection and, and apologizing when we've done wrong and trying to, yeah, there's a lot of differences, but Rena, how old are you? I'm 43. Yeah. Okay. So we grew up in the, yeah, it's the same generation. I mean, in the eighties, no one gave a damn about your feelings. That's for sure. Right. Did a teacher. Did a parent ever give a damn about your feelings? No, <laughs> no. And we care a lot about what our kids feel, you know? I did hear you talk a little bit about Yom Kippur, forgiveness there. Like, what is Yom Kippur like for you? And is this something that you think about every year or is it off the list? So I'm not at all religious. I think I do things like I have, you know, my Ariella necklace that I wear and I make matzo ball soup every year and all stuff like that. But I respect Yom Kippur the teaching of the fact that it isn't enough to tell God you're sorry while you're in synagogue. It isn't enough to say it to yourself, dad, you need to go to the person that you hurt and say you're sorry. So I think that for instance, Catholicism, it's kind of easy. They just tell you to do a Hail Mary or kneel and, and, and you pray. And I love that in Judaism, the teaching is to let go of your pride, to control your ego, 
to be humble in front of somebody and say, I'm so sorry, this won't happen again, whatever it is, the, you know, the apology that you want to give. So I really love Yom Kippur in that sense, because it mirrors a lot of what I tell people that are into personal growth, controlling your ego, being aware of it, letting go of your pride, all of those things. So I don't really do anything special for Yom Kippur because I don't really take one day a year to think about what I've done. I think about it every day. I'm constantly analyzing myself. But in terms of other religions, I really do love that about Yom Kippur, that the teaching is, it's not enough to stay safe in synagogue. It's not enough to stay safe within yourself, which is what my dad did. And he's a Jewish man. So I would have loved him to know that teaching and see if he can overcome the pride and the ego. But then, you know, Rena, it's all about, we all have to be okay with ourselves at the end. So if my dad reaches the end of his life and he knows the end is near and he thinks I did good, fine. Like there's no one else that's supposed to judge him. If he thinks I gave all the love I had to give, I gave all the, fine, I am not judging him. I know that I would like to look back on my life and really know that I gave all that I could. That I apologized when I needed to apologize, that I forgave when it was correct, that I, you know, grew and loved and learned and had empathy and had compassion. So if my dad thinks of me and thinks of himself as a father and reaches the end of his life and says, yeah, that's all right, then, then fine. I'm not sitting here in judgment. I just think there are better ways to do things. And I think if what he wants is to have a conversation with me, he has a lot to learn about how to make that happen. But if his prerogative is, yeah, I'd rather not, great, fine, live your life. I wish you well. I don't wish anything bad happen to you. I hope you're you know, happy and healthy and as long as you can be. And I'm going to live my life over here far from the love that you have to give because it's minuscule and I'd rather not. But I don't think there's judgment there. I think there's more of an acceptance. Yeah. I mean, you can't change them. No, if he wants to change, he can change himself the way I change when I find something in myself that I don't like. That's what I mean. I'm not judging him because it's, it's his journey. And if at the end of his journey, he's good with it, well, then the, everything's fine. If you could change him. Yeah. Where would you like him to be in your life? Like, are there moments where you're like, I wish I had a dad that I could talk to you about this? I mean, there have been many, many moments where I wish I had a dad, but I didn't wish I had him because I know him and I don't like him. So the kind of dad that I would like isn't him. I, I'll usually think I don't miss him. I miss the idea of having a wonderful dad. If I could change him, I would make him more emotionally mature. I would make him less prideful. But then that's, yeah, you're changing someone. He is a product of his generation. Yeah, that's a question that it feels very like kind of inappropriate because then it sounds like if I could just mold him into what I want him to be, I wouldn't want him to mold me into what he wants me to be. You know, he wanted a son. He didn't get a son. He wanted a soccer player. He didn't get a soccer player. So I think every man wants a son. My, my dad got three girls. He wanted boys. No, there are men who just adore being girl, being dads to girls and just, yeah, Sydney Poite talked about it. No, there are men who just adore having daughters. Yeah. Like my dad, it's funny because he had three sisters and then three daughters. And Surrounded by estrogen. Yeah. Now he has a bunch of grandsons and he ends up playing with the granddaughters, but. Because <laughs> he doesn't know how. <laughs> you're a boy. I have no idea what to do with you. I so think that funny. my dad is going to definitely relate to everything that you're saying. It will be interesting to hear his perspective on this. Mm-hmm. And another thing that you said was. Everybody has someone in their life that can't talk about the past. How do you talk to someone who can't talk about the past and yet you need to? 
do you just let it die? Do you just not yeah. talk about it? Do you just accept it? Or do you say, if you can't talk about it, like, that's what I need. And I guess you, we won't talk then. You put up the boundaries necessary. If you need to heal something that someone else isn't willing to, or doesn't have the capability at this moment, and they might in the future, just put up the boundaries, just pull away emotionally. And maybe in the future, there'll be growth. But I think that, yeah, because there's healing you can do on your own. And there's healing that you sometimes need some help with. And if that other person can't help you, then you need to pull back. Interesting. I also would yeah. like to know some of your mindset hacks. Life is a never ending lesson of letting go. I know you said that one. Yeah. Well, that is from Julia Butterfly Hill. I, I saw you talk about it on your social. I thought that that was a really beautiful story. Can you let's let's end with that. Oh, okay. So this woman, Julia Butterfly Hill, back in 1997 or 98, she climbed a tree. She was there for two years. This redwood tree that she wanted to save from being cut down by a logging company. And when she finally saved it and everything was signed, the contracts, whatever, she she comes down from the tree. You can see this. I'll send you the video, Rena. She kind of falls you know, to her knees. And when she looks up at the cameras, she says, life is a never ending lesson of letting go. It's one of my favorite things. I don't forget it. It's because it's both the good and the bad. And when I talked about in that video that you saw, I have a hard time letting go that my son is no longer a baby or a seven-year-old boy. He's 14. It's like, oh, you're such an adolescent. And, and it's annoying. <laughs> I have a 14-year-old too. I get it. And I'm like, I want, where's my baby? You know? You got to look at the um, baby pictures. You're like, you were once. I do. Little... The other, oh my God, you're so bad. The other day I was looking at old videos of him and just like cry. <laughs> How did you know, Rita? So I love that saying. And I think it's, I think it's a great general reminder that life is constantly moving. So you have to let it go, whether it's a grievance or whether it's a gorgeous seven-year-old boy who is now growing and you don't want to hold tight to him because he needs to evolve and grow up and everything. And so I love that saying, I love that it came from, from her, that it just sprung forth as she was leaving this gorgeous tree that she had lived in for two years. And then my sister has a friend, I think, who has the tattoo that says, this too shall pass. And she has it as a reminder, not just for the bad, which people say, you know, this too shall pass. They usually say it when something bad is happening, like an illness in the family or whatever, but she put it as a reminder to also the good. So this seven-year-old, it will pass. So enjoy it as long as you can, because you're going to have to let it go. So yeah, I love that. Thank you. That is such a beautiful message. Yeah. Yeah. And and I love too, like what you said, you can look at a quote from the positive or the negative. It can be applied to both, to any situation, to let it go, to that, it, that it's going to pass. It's all going to pass. Thank you. Okay. Let people know how they can find you. And is your podcast called Fatherless Daughters? Empowered Fatherless Daughters. Empowered Fatherless Daughters. I just started it. I think I've had one listener. So... <laughs> All right. Well, now you're going to get another one. I'm totally going to okay. subscribe after this and I'll put oh, the good, link. Good. Okay. So where can you reach me? Okay. So my website is healsinglove.com. Heal, sing, love altogether. I do self-love and empowerment coaching. I have a group for fatherless daughters called fatherless daughters time to heal. I have a podcast called empowered fatherless daughters and I want Instagram as heal, sing, love. Okay. So here's some anonymous questions from the audience. Sure. Do we ever fully heal from the trauma? I think it depends. I think it depends on how much you want to heal. I think it also depends on what your mindset is about healing or forgiveness. So I've ran into many people that say I could never forgive my father for doing, and it seems kind of minor, 
but to them, it's very big. And I think to myself, people have forgiven the Holocaust. You know, Nelson Mandela forgave the people who imprisoned him. There are people who have written books about the Rwandan genocide. I mean, people have forgiven and let go of really, really huge things. In terms of healing, I think if it isn't complete, if I haven't healed, for instance, because I, I consider myself pretty far along, I feel pain when I'll see, for instance, a father look at his daughter with a lot of pride and love in his eyes, like a father-daughter dance at a wedding or something like that. But Father's Day doesn't really bother me anymore. I know it devastates a lot of women. I think it depends on what your mindset is. If you think I will never heal from this, then you never will. And if you think I will heal from this, but a little bit of sadness in certain situations might remain, that's how it is for me. I think I have healed from this. And I think a little bit of sadness in certain situations, a father-daughter song or something will make me feel like longing. And to me, longing is just an emotion that I don't like because it's it, there's sadness to it, you know, longing for something that you don't have. I think a lot of it is up to you, whether you heal or not. Okay, so this question actually kind of complements the longing. Is there always going to be a part of us that needs a daddy, needs a father? Probably, yeah. And I think that, I think someone else can fill it. I think if you have an amazing stepdad or an uncle or a grandfather, or you fall in love with a wonderful man and he has a great dad, and so you have a good relationship with your father-in-law, I think fathers can come along not necessarily as your biological dad. And even though you can grieve not having them, if you can find the guidance and the love and the support from someone else, from a teacher, then you might not long all the time. I think it depends. But I think, yeah, I say it depends because I guess every situation is different and every person is different. But I think other men can absolutely step in and, and play that role. And if you that. think as a kid, yeah, and you can think, for instance, as a kid, well, my mother never remarried, I didn't have a wonderful stepdad or whatever, but then you're 20 something or you're 30 and you fall in love with a man and you meet his dad. And all of a sudden, the little girl in you is receiving something, is receiving healing, even at the age of 30 something. I put a video, I think yesterday, about how the show Glee helped me heal. Even though I saw it when I was 35, the 14 year old in me, needed to hear certain things or needed to learn certain lessons that were on that show. And so since I think we are all of the ages that we ever were, there might be small traumas or wounds that linger in those ages that we might not be aware of because we're all aware of the big traumas in our lives. So for some reason, I don't watch teenage shows. I, you know, I don't, but Glee for some reason spoke to me and the 14 year old in me needed to hear certain things. So you could be 30 something and fall in love and marry. And all of a sudden you get a father-in-law conversations with him or affection that he gives you can heal the little girl in you, even though you're a grown woman. Sure. I'm curious now, like what in Glee helped you? So many of the lessons had to do with loving yourself. Like the Lady Gaga song, what was it? Born This Way. There was a lot of, you know, the 14 year old in me was awkward. I wasn't popular. I had few very close friends. I didn't like myself at all. And so a lot of that show, because the kids are misfits and a lot of them want to be accepted or they want to be cool or whatever, and they see Glee as this dorky thing to do. So many of the of the lessons of Mr. Schuster have to do with loving yourself and accepting yourself and bringing out the best. And I didn't realize that the kid in me really needed to hear a lot of that. So that was amazing. It sounds like I need to watch that. <laughs> yeah, healing can come to, and I said this in the video, healing can come disguised in many ways. It can be in the in the way of a show. It can be in a book that you pick up that you don't know why you're called to it. And all of a sudden in it, there is something that awakens you or that 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see that for sure. Okay. This is the final question. We call my mom mother because she holds both roles so well, but it has kept her from operating from her masculine energy more often than not. And I can see it aging her. What would you say about that? Like a mom that plays both roles? Wow. I don't know what to say about that. I think we all have masculine and feminine energy. I think that you can't be a father if you're a mother and you can't be a mother if you're a father. And just because you you play all the roles or you are the one that does everything around the house from you know the scolding and the praising and the putting the rules and all that stuff, it doesn't mean you are a father. I think what a father gives you is different. I don't know what to say in terms of if this is, if you can see that this is aging her, then something needs to change. The dynamic of what she's doing or what her children are expecting of her needs to change. Because, I mean, I play both roles in the sense that my son's father lives in another country and is barely in his life. But I would never say that I'm his father. I would never say that I play that role. I'm just, I'm the single parent. I take care of everything. But I think the self-awareness that this person wrote about where they see their mother struggling with it to see that it's aging her something needs to be done there I would yeah maybe with a therapist maybe like a family counselor that can come in and explore the dynamic of of what the communication is like I think that dynamic might need to change it's interesting that you don't feel like you're playing both roles no I don't I think I'm a good mom I think I'm always learning I apologize when I mess up I'm a pretty good combination of old school and new school but no, I'm, I'm not his dad. I don't go play in the park with him with a ball. You know, I've, I've never done that. I guess I could, but that, uh, that wouldn't make me his dad. That would make him, you know, oh, my mom came out to play with me. It's so interesting what that question, because I would almost want more information. Like, can you read it again? We call my mom the mother because she holds both roles so well, but it has kept her operating from her masculine energy more often than not. And I can see it aging her. I've never heard of that that you would embody a role so much that you are now operating mostly in the energy that is, because like I said, I think we, we all inhabit male and female characteristics and, and energy. I would probably see a family therapist or something to see what can be done for her to go back to her femininity or to go back to just being a mom. And the acceptance of the absent father needs to come along with that. I'm wondering if that, if, if her operating from that energy is keeping the family from dealing with the acceptance of the loss, like, oh no, that didn't happen. That didn't happen here. We're just going to pretend it didn't happen. And here I will embody what you need me to be rather than saying, you know what? Not all men can be fathers. And as long as you're reproductively healthy, you can have a kid. And so anyone can do that. That's an amazing question. And it's, it's beyond my scope, I think of being able to help, but that's the way I see it, that there might be a lack of acceptance of what happened that needs to happen. I love your deep realization with that. Like you really sat and thought about that. That is so cool. I'm going to definitely yeah. connect the two of you. I've actually never heard of that before. So I, I would be interested in exploring more of that. Hey, at least I sparked a new idea. <laughs> you did. <laughs> yeah. And also I am interested how do you, you know, stay in the feminine with your son 
you know, and not repeat the same mistake. Like his father isn't around. How do you make him not have those same feelings? He might. He, I don't know. He might. He loves his basketball coach. He loves his older brother. He does have his dad like on his WhatsApp, you know, he can message him or whatever. I think he received a lot of love as a kid because we lived, when I moved in with my mother, then we all moved in with my grandmother. So I used to say that this kid, he was like the little prince of the house because it was my grandmother, my mother, and I. And I said, this kid's going to grow up one day to write a book called My Three Jewish Mothers. And I would worry that he didn't have a man in his life. And he's recently been able to connect really well with his brother, who's nine years older. So he has that as an example. And he started basketball this year in April. And so he's really liking his coach. So I think he's going to have role models or men that he can look at. I think you can even get it. This sounds like cheesy, but like from TV, like in the same way that I can heal from something that happens on a TV show, but I can relate it back to me. He can look at amazing men on a movie or a television show and think to himself, that's the way to do it. That's the kind of man I want to be without having it be emulated on a daily consistent basis from a man in his home. But I just, I never, it never occurred to me to embody both or to change who I am and become more masculine. It just, it never occurred to me. It wasn't something like you said, how did you maintain your feminine energy? It just, it didn't occur to me to do the opposite. So I'm wondering what made this woman think she had to do that. Yeah, that's interesting. It's a really interesting question that they sent. I'm, I'm so happy that they sent that. Yay. Well, thank you so much for answering all of those. And I'm glad we could just, yeah, reconnect. Okay, so if you have a question for Rachel Isabella about fatherless daughters, please email me at rena at bettercalldaddy.com. And we are going to do a follow-up episode answering all of your questions. Love it. I love that, Rena. Yeah, it was. Thank you so much for letting me be on your podcast, Rena. I appreciate it. I'm excited to hear what my dad has to say. Okay, (laughs) let me know. (laughs) Okay. Bye, Bye. Rena's dad. (laughs) Bye, Rena. Bye. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. What did you think of that Rachel Isabella episode? The Rachel Isabella episode with Rena, it's about fatherless daughters. Part of the interesting question here is what does a girl do if she doesn't have a father? or have a father that's abusive, or a father that just doesn't even pay attention to the reality that he has a daughter instead of a son. It's a very interesting question. Part of the discussion was, does this interaction or non-interaction, does it affect your daughter's life for many, many years or decades? And the answer is an emphatic yes, in my opinion. A parent, especially a father, has to be on his best behavior and best example, especially with daughters. But I don't have any sons, but I would say most likely you have to be a good father with sons just as well as with daughters, but especially daughters, because, you know, daughters have to face a world where if they're going to carry on a family lifestyle after growing up in your household, what kind of man is she going to find or relate to if she didn't have a good example from her own father? Well, something that her and I talked about was she wants someone who's done some personal development too. Absolutely. And what's ironic from my understanding and my experience and from knowing a lot of other people in similar situations, when they don't have a good father figure, and especially when it comes to finding love later in life, they end up getting trapped by whoever they meet who gives them a little attention without really examining whether it's really even a perfect fit for them. 
or whether it really even makes sense because they're craving for attention and love so badly that sometimes they end up in the same type of abusive relationship with the next man who she might meet. And isn't that the case here, even with Rachel, where she's looking to help a person that she hardly even knows and decides to marry that if it works out or it doesn't work out, no big deal. But somebody that was extra nice to her doesn't even know if it was real, even herself, then finds out after the marriage that there's a lot of red flags and a lot of problems with this relationship. And if she would have been able to look at it more sensibly right from the beginning, she'd have never even been involved with that boy. And when children are involved, it becomes, again, a very, very difficult situation for us. They then are getting the same example of not a foundation or a foundation that's cracked or broken and also in a rebuilding phase. Nobody wants to fix rebuilding situations if they can be avoided. I'm curious your thoughts on forgiveness and how she talked about that. Well, I think in La La Land, I think all of us would like to think that if somebody has a problem or they've done something wrong to you, that they actually will want to apologize and feel bad for you. I think that's La La Land. I think it's possible, but there's a lot of people that live their lives, they make mistakes, take advantage of other people, and they're not sorry. They try to learn from it. They might want to try to redeem themselves in some fashion if their conscience wants to be cleared. But the fact is, is that most people are not sorry for anything that they do. So I think that that's a misnomer in this episode, is that you have to be able to love yourself, fix yourself. It's who you have control over. And you do not have control over your environment. And you do not have control over what someone else is going to feel or do. I think we all have to be willing to accept people for who they are. It's nice to know your customers, but we shouldn't be unrealistic or feel like our life can't move forward with someone unless they apologize. I think the better answer is, is that how can we move forward? How can we have a relationship now, if at all possible, without having to try to go back in time and fix the past? The past is the past. Let's try to look forward and see what we can do to have a better future. What do you think we can do? There's another question I want to detract you from the question. But the other thing that was really fascinating is how with the world getting smaller and smaller with the world of transportation that we live in and the technology that we have, isn't it quite ironic that people from other cultures and other countries, if you get caught in it's almost like getting caught in a maze where you can't get out without all kinds of problems that to break up if you're from one country to another country, very hard to uh, sometimes resolve things with children when they're in two different countries. As you know, we, I have children also that live in other countries and have been married to people from other countries. And if they have issues with their marriage, it's very difficult resolving the issues with the children when it's in foreign lands. Isn't that also a very tough situation as well. Definitely. Problem is, is that we're human. Our expectations of what other people are going to say and do sometimes affects our behavior. And we have to remember that communication and a support crew is really needed by everybody to get through some of the ups and downs of life. I, I think that that's really the mechanism that we have to really have for everybody is that what do we do if a disaster occurs and a tornado hits your town? Do you have people that are going to rise to the occasion 
and help rebuild your home, uh, take in, take you in and help you if you've lost everything. That's one thing. And hopefully, you know, material things can be replaced. But what if somebody gets killed or somebody, you know, gets really hurt badly from the war or from a, a, a drive-by shooting that's going on like it's second nature now? What do we do? Well, we better have programs, healing programs, and, we, and where we have support groups and we have people that are dedicated to helping others that have similar problems. That's what our podcast is about, is where a person can voice their opinion and be able to, hopefully, where we can all learn from each other and brainstorm and come up with, with answers that will help not only ourselves and our guests, but be able to also relay to others where they see an example where that issue might touch them as well. Isn't that what Rachel is doing now? She doesn't really want to be defined by not feeling the love of her father, but she wants to help other people who've lost a father or have lost something or didn't get the kind of love that they would have liked to have had when they were young and to figure out a way of sticking together and finding a forward path. I think that's really the question is let's, let's not be defined by what's happened to us. Let's see what we have to do to overcome this adversity where it doesn't affect us in a negative way the rest of our lives. I think she's doing a good job doing that and changing her story. That's what it's about. What it's about is to continue to grow and nurture yourself and love yourself and come up with activities and programs that'll make you happy and where we can hopefully share that growth with other people. That's what she's trying to do. If I was her father, I would tell her that it's a job well done. Be strong and to continue to look forward or have forward thinking, help others so that they don't feel bad about the cards that they've been dealt. You can win any hand if you play your cards right. Okay, so one more thing too. I think we all know people that have apologized, but not really apologized. And that well, is something what, that didn't sit well with her either. Right. Well, I, that's why we're trying to reshape people and make them feel like we want them to feel. And I think it's unrealistic. Not only that, it doesn't mean anything because a lot of people will not give you that sincere apology. You're better off coming up with a different path where you can find a forward path without seeking something that, as you know, might not even be real. And they might only be sorry for the moment, but that's not really what they think. So what does it matter? What would it do? And how does it change the situation? Okay. If somebody tells you that they're sorry, what, what does that really accomplish? It's how they're going to act in the future. It's how they're going to treat you in the future. It's what they're going to do with you in the future that has a lot more meaning. Again, I actually think that's something that we should all think about. I agree. And the truth of the matter is, it's just words. The best answer is show me, be there, participate, communicate, show that by your actions that you care. That's what matters. So if somebody wants to redeem themselves, they got to show it by walking the walk, not talking the talk. All right. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 